or perhaps a, a light that's spilling out from a lantern? What is your vision for this congregation, for this city? What is our call? What are, what are we thinking about when we think about the church? Are we, or should we be planning for three more churches in, in the next five years? Are we praying for internal growth, for revival among us, for outreach, for more visitors, more baptisms? In his third vision, Zechariah sees a man with a measuring tape, a measuring line, and he's making plans for the future of Jerusalem, just as the Lord had promised in the first vision, chapter 1, verse 16. And since visions are interactive experiences of God's revelation, Zechariah is able to ask the man where he's going. And the man appears to be a city planner. And when he says that he is measuring Jerusalem, he uses words that show that he is looking as what its length and width were, are, should be. We can imagine him doing the calculations in his head as he considers where the walls should be. Perhaps he is looking at the old foundations, which would be more than enough to contain the small number of returned exiles. And maybe he's wondering if they should just reuse the old walls or if he should go bigger or, or maybe go smaller. It appears that he is doing what we might do when we are planning to build a, a new church building and deciding how big it should be. And then Zechariah sees the angel who was talking with him go out to a meeting with another angel. And one of them is sent to quickly explain to the man with the measuring cord that Jerusalem will be like the open country. It'll be a location without walls. It's in verse 4. There would simply be too many people to fit into any walls that, that a man might want to put around Jerusalem. And I preach to you this gospel under the following theme. The Lord's plans in Christ for his church make it difficult to measure for walls. You see, the Lord's glory is in the midst of the church the Lord is a wall of fire around the church, and the Lord brings multitudes into his church. If you think about that man with the measuring line intent on rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, you could see that this man was a faithful servant of God who understood the importance for God's covenant people to remain a holy and a separate community. Building walls around the city showed respect for the temple that was within it and how much they valued their fellowship with God through the sacrificial service. In addition to keeping enemies away from all that they valued, Ezra and Nehemiah and the people who had returned from exile, they understood the connection between the temple and the city and the hope of the coming Messiah and Mediator. Their faithfulness is a sign of their faith in Jesus Christ. And since prophecies with measuring rods often pointed to a restoration of a greater future, Zechariah's vision would have been a great encouragement to the people of God at that time. However, 
in order that the people of God in Zechariah's time would not get trapped in their own time, in their own time in the history of Revelation, the Lord sent messengers to speak to the man with the measuring line and to give further instructions. And we'll see, and you can see that these instructions are urgent. Run, move, move quickly. Say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. In order to understand the vision, the hearers had to understand that the physical city of Jerusalem was a type that pointed to the spiritual Jerusalem, which was the church. And and we see that running through all the Old Testament. We, We sing about it in the Psalms all the time, in Psalm 48 and Psalm 122 and Psalm 147. You see, Nehemiah wasn't wrong to build the walls. But as the Jews were building the walls, they had to remember that what the Lord showed Zechariah about his future plans for for the church. Right from the beginning, the Lord showed that he wanted his people to keep their sights focused on the big picture that centered on his presence in the world. They could build their walls, but they had to know that those walls would only serve for a little while. The walls could keep in the remnant and a few generations but they could not contain the Lord God Almighty who was at work in the world through His church. You see the emphasis in this vision on the, on the dwelling of the Lord, on His glory in their midst. The Lord was preparing His people for the goal of Christ's saving work that we read about in Revelation 21. This is the church that the Lord is speaking about in this vision. He's giving the world a glimpse of his plans for the church in Jesus Christ. And to this church, no man could set limits because God himself had promised to dwell in her midst. Even if that man with the measuring line was, was very optimistic and he, and he set very optimistic boundaries in the rebuilding of Jerusalem, those boundaries would be too small. Walls can only lead us to think too small about the God who dwells in our midst. And as the Lord once again calls Zechariah and the church to behold his coming, to see his presence, to celebrate it with singing and rejoicing, and again he uses that word dwell, which points directly to his coming and being among his people like he was in the tabernacle. And the word dwell and the verb to tabernacle are very closely related. And in John 1 verse 14, that equivalent word in the Greek is used. And as we look at that verse and we see it in comparison to Zechariah, we can see that God was preparing Israel for the coming of Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh and who tabernacled, who dwelt in our midst. God was preparing the people in Zechariah's day for a New Testament church that would look completely different. A further fulfillment of this promise is found in the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, what's what's always emphasized about the Spirit is His dwelling, His dwelling in our midst, His dwelling in the hearts 
fact, believers are even called temples of the Holy Spirit. And it was because this Lord was working out the, the greater plan that he sent those angels to talk to the man with the measuring line. And the Lord allows us as well to behold, to see this vision so that we ensure that we do not become trapped in our time, comfortable with, with what we have, so that we do not become so focused on, on buildings and, and people we know and keeping them around us today that we fail to see the amazing significance of having the Lord of hosts dwelling in our midst. That we are the body of Christ. His Spirit is, is within us. God is within us, amongst us, in our midst. Zechariah's third vision teaches us to keep the great work that the Lord is doing all over the world in our minds, even as we, as we look at our congregation around us today, that we understand our place in this Catholic, this universal church. We're not an empire that is run and filled by the people that, that we choose, but we are, first of all, a church where the glory of the triune God dwells and where he is working and the people of God should not limit God's glory with a permanent dividing wall whether that is a, a physical wall or a picture of what this congregation should should look like or or maybe even in our perspectives we build walls in our perspectives and in our attitudes and in our expectations that preclude expansion and the inflow of, of more and more people. In fact, considering that the Lord calls himself a wall of fire to the church, we could even ask why would we need to set up any walls at all? Any restrictions? We see that in our second point. The Lord is a wall of fire around the church, a wall of fire. If, you, if you've ever seen that, a wall of fire. When, a, when rioters are, are burning tires on a street in, in Recife, there's a wall of fire. You're not able to pass through. The point of Johnny Cash's famous song that compares love to a burning ring of fire with its flames getting higher is that you can't get past the wall of fire. When the wall of fire all around is the Lord of hosts, we quickly realize that there is no need for weak human beings to try add in and build in their, their own additional walls. There is a, a wall of fire around the church and he is the Lord. And as he did in the wilderness with his pillar of cloud and fire, God is able to defend his glory he doesn't need us adding in all kinds of extra protection for his honor. The church often falls into that error. The Jews did that. They had the holiness of God. They had the, the temple. They had the laws. And then they, they built up a huge system of additional expectations and rules to protect that holiness of God in their midst. 
We might do that in our own minds as well, giving all sorts of entrance requirements to being a part of this congregation that goes way beyond what the Lord and His glory reveals. God is the one who protects His church. He is the wall of fire. He's also the one who determines the boundaries of His kingdom. The beauty of the wall of fire is that it's, it's movable. He moves the wall of fire as the situation of God's people changes. By calling Himself a wall of fire around the church, the Lord makes it clear that He protects the church that Christ is gathering in. And He decides who may be a part of it, regardless of what we may think. He makes our little personal walls completely irrelevant. And although the man with the measuring line had been told that Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls, this does not mean that there would no longer be any separation between the church and the world. You can't find that anywhere in Scripture. The antithesis remains. In fact, the wall of fire would accentuate the distinction. And we read that the Lord promised to to shake or to wave His hand over the nations. Maybe it was a a simple shaking, a simple waving. He would shake His hand over the nations who plundered Judah, and they shall become plunder for those who save them. That's in verses 8 and 9. Then you see the Lord's immense and sovereign power. All the nations of the world, you can see it, and he, He just waves His hand to reverse the situation of His enemies. That's the Lord who's the wall of fire. And Zechariah would have been reminded of the vision of the four craftsmen at the end of chapter 1 who would ensure that God's enemies would not be able to continue at ease for long. And when the Lord then promises vengeance in Zechariah 2, you can see that He uses very broad language to describe the enemy. He speaks about the the land of the north, a general reference, and then He makes reference to all the, the people of Israel spread where the four winds blow. What's underlying the principle of God's vengeance is that rule, verse 8, he who touches Zion, the church, touches the apple of his eye. And then we see why in the New Testament the word Babylon is is a reference to all God's enemies. You could see that, for example, in 1 Peter 5, verse 13, or Revelation 16 to 18. The Lord is making it very clear. He is the wall of fire. What is His principle? If you are not for Jesus Christ, you are against Him. That's the division. That's the wall. That's the guide. The Lord has roused Himself from His holy dwelling. We read in verse 13. He's got Himself, dressed Himself, gotten himself ready to do the work. That's the, that's the picture that's used with the, wor- the verb there. He's a holy God. He keeps his promises. He will punish those who hate him. He will bless those who love and trust and submit themselves to him. 
And as a result, the Lord's call to the faithful to to flee and to escape the, the grip of those who are doomed to destruction is a call that continues to be applied today. There is a line. There is a wall of fire. There is a place where there is punishment and there is a place where there is grace. And that place, whether you call it Zion or Jerusalem or the temple or the church, it's where Christ is ruling. In that context, you see the grace of God. He, he says, up, up, or hoy, hoy, you people. Return to Babylon. Up, you daughter, you, you people of Zion who are in exile. You who are born and raised in that country who probably feel pretty comfortable in your captivity. Come, return, experience grace. It's the call that the Lord is issuing out to the world. Zechariah 2, and he repeats it in Revelation 18. A risen Lord, as a risen Lord is describing the destruction of all the worldly powers immersed in their luxurious living and their sexual immorality and their materialistic economic endeavors. He repeats his call, and I'm reading Revelation 18, verse 4. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you, you share in her plagues. Do you hear the Lord calling you today with the same words? He tells you you don't have to remain in the place in the world where, where the fire of the Lord is burning and destroying. Zion is a place where the Lord dwells in peace with His people and, and today that is beneath the cross of Jesus Christ where the Holy Spirit is dwelling in the hearts of believers. It's in the church, but not just the church building. It's not enough to just be in this building and, and go through the motions of church and, and think that you've abandoned the world and, and received Jesus Christ. The, the church is full of hypocrites too. But God's call reaches down to our very hearts. He asks each one of us, what do you want to do with your life? Dear Christian, says John in 1 John 2, do not love the world. Or the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And then God's call comes. It's very urgent, but it's very gracious. Because he looks at his church, he looks at his bride, he says, you are the apple of my eye. Read about that in Deuteronomy 32 as well in Psalm 17 verse 8 that was displayed on the wall as you walked in today or as you, you logged in. You are the apple of his eye. That expression refers to the little reflection of yourself that you see when you look closely into the eyes of another person. It, it points to intimacy. It points to, to trust. It points to being close to the heart of the other. We are close to the heart of our Lord and Creator. And He knows those who are His own. And though the apple of God's eye, they show themselves by, by coming up out of the world and bowing before His glory dwelling in our midst. 
That's our task, to declare His glory. To bring that light to the world. And if we're faithful in this task, we may even be surprised at the holiness, the power of God who dwells in our midst as He brings the multitudes in. It's important to understand that in the Old Testament, the center of all worship was the temple, was Jerusalem, the city, was Mount Zion. To experience salvation in Jesus Christ, you met someone, you you said, you have to come to the temple, you have to come to the center. That's where the, the mediating work is done. That's why all the Jews who were scattered were called to return to Zion. That's why it says in our text in verse 12 that God chose Jerusalem. We see in this way also how our text points to the priority that the Lord gave to the the Jews and the Jewish nation. John 4 verse 22, our Lord Jesus even, even mentions that to the Samaritan woman. He says, yes, salvation is from the Jews. And Paul confirms this in Romans 9. He says that the Jews got got the the patriarchs, the law, the covenants, and and the human ancestry of Jesus Christ. They had a a privilege. And so when he went to a town, he he started with the Jews. Even today, that is taught and explained to those who are busy with mission work. The daughter of Zion had many reasons to sing and to rejoice. Rejoice. Maybe rejoice in, in, the, in the measuring of the walls of Jerusalem again. But they might never forget that the Lord did not want the man with the measuring line to build permanent walls that only encircled the people on Mount Zion. For the Lord had made a promise to Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. The Lord had gracious and merciful plans also for the nations around. And we see that in verse 11. Many nations would join themselves. They would even be called my people by the covenant God. Now that promise is not new. The Lord had allowed Hagar, many Egyptians, and Ruth to share in the covenant blessings. In Isaiah 2 and Micah 4, the Lord promised that in the latter days people would would flow to the mountain of the Lord and and many nations would say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Many nations would be singing Psalm 122. The Lord's plan was never to, to limit the church to the Jewish people. And even through the prophet Haggai chapter 2 verses 6 to 8, he he spoke about both shaking the nation so that they all would come to Jerusalem. And Paul points to that same promise in Romans 11 that all nations would be grafted in to the people of God. And so Paul could also explain the mystery of the gospel that Gentiles would also be included in the church. That's a gospel message for every non-Jew who is here today, which is almost all of us. That day, referred to in verse 11, was a day that was ushered in by Jesus Christ, who dwelt in the midst of the church to fulfill this temple, to fulfill the sacrifices, to open up a new and living way into God's presence through His body. The New Testament reveals that with his victory and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there would no longer be a need for the worshipers of the Lord to travel to Jerusalem. 
There's a big change of direction after Christ. If the city of Jerusalem in the Old Testament is compared to a seed, the Jerusalem in the New Testament can be compared to the creeping vine that fills and covers the earth wherever people draw near to God in Christ Jesus. After Christ, people would no longer need to go to the city of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem would go to the world. And we see that in the Great Commission. The Lord Jesus commanded his, his apostles to go out and baptize and teach. In Acts 1 verse 8, you see the whole summary of the New Testament and the work of the church starting in Jerusalem, going out to uh, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's all there in front of us. It was there in Zechariah. It's even more clear today. And like the Jews in Zechariah's day, we face the same resistance to the generosity of our God in going to the ends of the earth. And so also today our default reaction to living in a sinful world that's full of temptations, the, the default reaction is to build high walls to protect us in a safe place along with people that we are comfortable with who share our social economic status and our culture and our, and our lovely family names. That's our default. That's the comfortable way. That's what we often find ourselves resigning to. It's a sign that maybe we don't really trust the divine wall of fire. When it comes to church growth and, and mission, we, we often think, maybe we even say it or, or you've heard it, that just being in a neighborhood and advertising our service times, that's sufficient. We build the walls, let the nations come in. That sounds pretty Old Testament. Sounds like we often forget Christ and the Holy Spirit and the glory of God in our midst. I wonder if we understand how little a church building really means to an unchurched person. But what if our what if people in our neighborhoods could see the glory of God and the work of the Spirit in your Spirit-filled lives as you show genuine mercy and compassion toward them as you bring Jerusalem out to the world? That's what God is doing. That's what Christ's church gathering work is all about. The manifestation of His glory in Christ Jesus our Lord will be the joy and the comfort of, of all our neighbors. If, if there are visitors today here in the building or, or, or listening, this is the truth. In Christ there is joy and there is comfort. Jesus compared the church to a lantern whose light spills out into the world. And when the Lord dwells in our hearts, the people in the world will notice. And the Lord himself will, will draw them in. And then we ask again, are we as a congregation ready to receive the multitudes? As we're praying for a, a mission worker in our city, as we're thinking of, of 
sharing the gospel with our co-workers, that gospel will change their hearts. God the Spirit changes. He brings conversion. They will want to come and worship. Are we ready to receive them? Or are our walls that we put around us just too thick? Has the dividing wall of hostility to those who are still trapped in darkness been broken down in our hearts? As Christ broke it down, as we read in Ephesians 2, and then Zechariah's vision gives us confidence as we move out into the world. It's, it's often not a lack of love that hinders us. It's a, it's a lack of confidence. We're, we just don't know. The Lord says He's holy and powerful, but, but I'm pretty weak, a weak vessel. And then we think of that vision in Zechariah 2, the big, the big picture. The angels that didn't let the man with the measuring line limit anything, not the work of God. The Lord will keep us and our little ones safe. Even if we open the doors, the gates, as we saw in Revelation 21. Every repentant sinner in the world, no matter where they came from or what they have done, has a place in Christ's church because God has declared it. Well, let us obey the vision, the gospel of the vision fulfilled in Christ. Let us spill out into the world like salt or, or light. We can walk around and talk to people in our neighborhoods, our universities, our jobs, our, our social interactions, and we could do it all with that promise of Revelation 21 in our midst. And as you're thinking about Revelation 21, you're saying, but, aha, but there's walls in Revelation 21 foundations and walls yes and if you look at that that foundation is Christ and the walls of the apostles and the, the, going out the gates are based the foundations are the apostles with the focus of going out and the measurements are an exact cube and that church fills all the earth and that exact cube is the same as the holy of holies in the temple if you measured it it was a perfect cube. Exact height, width, length. And what is God showing us in Revelation 21? That in his vision for the church, the holy of holies is all the world. Outside those who turn away, outside the wall of fire. But his glory, his dwelling will fill all the earth. And so we can have a lot of confidence in our outreach. God said the church would be uncontainable between four walls on this earth before he returns. Revelation gives us a picture of multitudes that no one can count. We can be sure that he will keep his word. And just as you were graciously brought in to this church, so also many more will be gathered in Christ our head that they may share in the promise of new life and peace with God in the forgiveness of sins that's so clearly revealed in Zechariah 3. Amen.